0: The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Good morning. morning. Seems really strange getting up at this time because I'm usually sitting in the chair anticipating a wonderful sermon from Pete. And uh, I'm going to raise this up a little bit so I can make sure to see my notes. Pete, you know, as I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last few months as we've uh, sat under your teaching, Um, some of the words I've used to describe you to my wife was sincere, um, intelligent, humble, genuine, and today I'm going to add to that list courageous because to my knowledge you've never heard me speak before (laughs) and uh, that's one reason. The second reason is because I'm a psychologist and there's a lot of churches not only in our community but from around the country if not the world that would never let a psychologist take the pulpit. So. I, I appreciate that very, very much. It's good to be with you this morning. As Pete said, and uh, as by way of introduction, um, my family and I, my wife and our two daughters primarily, uh, have been attending uh, Holy Cross since about April of this year. And we have thoroughly enjoyed the teaching and uh, some of the fellowship that we've been able to participate in so far. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about my family, Kendra and I have been married for 35 years. It's hard to believe. Uh, it's gone so quickly. We have three beautiful children. Um, we've got uh, Scott, our oldest son, uh, who is a firefighter here for Tucson. We're proud of him. And, uh, and then uh, Kristen, and uh, she is uh, our second daughter, and she is a school teacher. And then Catherine uh, is our youngest daughter, and she too is a teacher. We also have a wonderful son-in-law, Kyle. And Kyle works at Ventana Medical. Couldn't ask for a better son-in-law. Uh, and I'm sure I couldn't ask for a better daughter-in-law. We have a busy season in our life uh, as a family right now. My son Scott and his fiance uh, Haley are going to be married in October. Uh, so it's a busy time for us, and it's exciting. And another excitement, I was at a conference speaking uh, a few months ago, and all the speakers got up and they showed pictures of their family. And most of them had... had um, uh, grandchildren to show. And so I got up and I didn't want to be taught so I showed a picture of our, uh, our dog. <laughs> and uh, because we're not grandparents but in January <sighs> we're, we're going to be grandparents. Kristen is pregnant. I want to make that sure, clear. She's the married daughter. <laughs> 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 Let me begin this morning by asking you two questions. And I want you to just answer these questions in your head, okay? Here's the first question. Do you believe that with God all things are possible? Do you believe that with God all things are possible? Question number two. Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that God is sovereign, having supreme authority or power over everything? Answer those two questions in your mind, and we're going to come back to them in just a little bit. As a psychologist, I have a consulting practice, and I work with organizations and businesses doing training, consulting, coaching, etc., and I absolutely love that part of my practice, but I also have a clinical practice. As a clinical psychologist, that makes a lot of sense, and so I get to, every day, practically, work with people who are in transition, who are experiencing some kind of pain. Oftentimes, they're experiencing discouragement, depression worry and anxiety and I must say that in my 25 years or so as a counselor and as a psychologist I have never worked with more people who are struggling with discouragement and pessimism about the shape our world is in than I have in recent weeks months and years this morning I want to spend just a few minutes exploring how we can stay encouraged in what I believe is at times, oftentimes, a very discouraging world. Discouragement is often the result of different stressors in our life and hardships, trials and tribulations, uh, either those we're going through or somebody we love. And you know, I sat down a few weeks ago and I made a list of some of the issues that people I'm working with, people I know, are going through. Things that can trigger discouragement and have for many of the people people, uh, that I work with. Just examples uh, include death of a loved one, financial ruin, a bankruptcy, separation and divorce, marital problems, parent-child problems, cancer or other serious illnesses, job loss, addictions, and as you know, the list goes on and on. And if we had time this morning to go around the sanctuary today, each one of you could probably add to that list in terms of stressors and triggers of discouragement in your own life. We all know that there's trials and there's tribulations everywhere in our world, globally, nationally, in our families, in our individual lives. In fact, we read in John 16:33, Jesus himself said these words. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Every day we are bombarded with headlines and stories from social media and the internet, television, radio, newspapers that draw our attention to natural disasters, economic uncertainty, wars, and other tragedies that serve to trigger discouragement, fear, and worry in many of us. We cannot avoid it in our society today. Just this week, the stock market plummeted uh... toward the end of the last week and then again at the beginning of this week and we hear of shootings that occur on live television and if we pay attention to these things and it's hard not to it's possible that we're going to be triggered with discouragement not only because of those things that are going on in our own lives but because of those things that happen around us every day i remember when i was in graduate school long time ago now I went through a period of time where I would say I was I was definitely discouraged if not at times feeling despair and depressed uh, or depression. I was in my graduate program and uh, I had just entered my internship and I had to work in the hospital to do a variety of rotations with children, adolescents and adults and, uh, and it was a very stressful time. My day would start about four o'clock in the morning. And I would do psychological evaluations, I'd go into the hospital, and then after about noon, I'd get off at the hospital, and then I'd go to my job, and I'd go to work, until about 9 o'clock at night. And I did that for about 20 months. And I remember telling my wife, I'd wake up and, and, uh, you know, open my eyes, probably woke her up, because she wasn't up at the time I woke up, and I would say, I hate my life. I hate my life. Why am I doing this? I can't tell you how many times I asked that question, you know, why am I doing this? And it was a a difficult time, not only because of the workload, but it was at that time that my father had been diagnosed with cancer and was dying. So it was a very difficult, trying time. And I could give you other examples of times in my life when I felt discouraged, and again, I know that each of you could do the same thing. We all experience discouragement at one time or another. Why talk about discouragement? Well, let's talk about it. So we can understand the negative effects it has on us, but also how we can overcome it, how we can stay encouraged despite the fact we live in a very discouraging world. So how does discouragement affect us? Let me just give you a couple of ideas of how it does. First of all, it affects every aspect of our being. Emotionally, it can trigger pessimism, hopelessness, sadness, irritability, agitation, and anxiety. Psychologically, it can impair our concentration our ability to attend, our ability to focus clearly. It can increase our negativity. It can also impair our memory. Old age is doing that. You know, the Bible says that God, when he forgives us our sins, he casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. I can never relate to that. But as I get older, I think I'm developing my own pond, at least, of forgetfulness. But one of the psychological consequences of discouragement is it can impair our memory, can impair, again, our... Concentration, it can cause us to become very self focused instead of other focused. It can impair our decision making and our problem solving. Physically, discouragement can cause a loss of energy, a loss of motivation. It can create headaches, sleep problems, muscle and joint pain, gastrointestinal problems, frequent colds, and the list goes on and on with regard to the physical consequences that discouragement can cause in our life. It can also cause problems for us behaviorally. When we're discouraged, we can uh, have increased isolation. We withdraw from our relationships and we just stay to ourselves. We can be impatient with others. We can engage in compulsive behaviors. We can overeat. We can overdrink. We can Uh, do things that we might not normally do, things that are destructive. So it can impact every aspect of our lives. And let me say this. When I work with believers in therapy who are discouraged and depressed and anxious, one of the things that I see impacting them more than anything at all is that domain of spirituality, their spiritual life, their relationship with God. When we're discouraged, our faith can be in question. It can weaken It can decrease. We can experience a greater distance from God. Oftentimes, people will say, you know what? I don't believe um, perhaps some of the promises in God's word about the fact that he listens to us, that he hears our prayers, because when I'm discouraged, it seems as though my prayers don't go above the ceiling. And it feels like he's a million miles away. Why is that? It's not because he's a million miles away. It's because when we're discouraged It affects our attention, our focus, our concentration. We need our mental faculties in order to have a relationship with God. That's why he gave them to us. And when we're discouraged, all of those are muted. And so therefore, we don't feel as close to God. So it doesn't only affect us emotionally, psychologically, behaviorally, and physically. It affects us spiritually And so we need to know what it takes to overcome that momentary or temporary discouragement so that we can experience the encouragement God has for us. Now, what might make us vulnerable to discouragement? The truth is we're all vulnerable, but there are some things that can create a greater vulnerability within us to feel discouraged. Let me just share a couple of them. First of all, people who experience chronic fatigue or chronic illness and pain, they are very vulnerable to discouragement. And you can understand that because it calls out for their attention every day, uh, oftentimes every moment of the day. And that's a real, real difficult situation to be in. Second of all, negative conditioning and experiences that we have, growing up in an overly cautious or a fearful environment, Or in an environment that was abusive, psychologically, physically, sexually. Uh, It may have been an environment that was unpredictable, uncertain, and it felt insecure. All those things can lead to a greater vulnerability for discouragement. Heredity. We can inherit a predisposition to be discouraged based on our parents' DNA. Did you know that? There's been a lot of research done on the topic of happiness in recent years, and the researchers found that a person's capacity for happiness, in large part, is related to what they call a biological set point. In fact, they said that based on the DNA you inherited from your parents, that can determine up to 50% of your happiness. Now, I'm thinking, I'm understanding right now you're thinking, that explains why I'm so miserable. My mom was miserable. My dad was miserable. My grandparents were miserable. Well, it doesn't mean that if your parents were miserable, they didn't know how to be happy. That you're going to be destined for unhappiness. It doesn't mean that. It does mean that you may have a predisposition to that. It's called the biological set point. So our DNA can influence the degree to which we might be discouraged in life or happy as well. Another reason or another cause of vulnerability, loss and broken trust. Loss and broken trust. When people we depend on most for love, safety, security, Leave us through death, divorce, neglect, abandonment. It leaves a hole in our hearts that can influence the development of anxiety, pessimism, cynicism, negativity, and discouragement. The fifth thing that can create a vulnerability to discouragement is the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. The enemy wants us to feel discouraged and defeated. In Ephesians 6.12, it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in a spiritual battle as believers today. Let me share a brief story with you that illustrates this point. It was advertised that the devil was putting up for sale all of his tools. Not a yard sale I think I'd want to go to, but nevertheless. On that date, the tools were laid out. They had prices marked on them for public inspection, and there were a lot of treacherous instruments. Hatred, envy, jealousy, deceit, pride, lying, and so on. Laid apart from the rest of the devil's tools was a tool that was worn more than any of the others and was priced very high. What's the name of this tool, asked the customers. That, the devil replied, is discouragement. Why have you priced it so high? Because discouragement is more useful to me than all the others. I can pry open and get inside a man's heart with that when I cannot get near him with any other tools. It's badly worn because I use it on almost everyone, since so few people no, it belongs to me. Discouragement is a tool of the devil, and he likes to use it as often as he can. I want to share in just a few moments we have left four keys that I believe will help you to overcome discouragement. Now, we could talk all day about this topic, and I have. I've presented a whole day's seminar on overcoming discouragement, how to stay up in a down world. But Let me share four keys with you today And if there's anything that is in your life right now, personally, or maybe in the life of your family, uh, that is triggering discouragement for you, perhaps it's the state of the world. There's so much uncertainty, as I mentioned. I want you to think to yourselves, how can I apply one or more of these keys in order to combat that discouragement that the enemy or the world is trying to use in my life? It's important to understand that God's Word Commands us to not be discouraged. In Joshua 1 9, it says this Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If God commands us to stand strong and to be courageous instead of fearful and discouraged, it has to be possible. God will not command us to do something we cannot do. He won't do that. In fact, in Matthew, we hear Jesus' words in chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So it's through the strength and power of the Lord and the Holy Spirit that we can be equipped to overcome those things that discourage us. Now I know that this is much easier said than done. In fact, when I share information with my clients, that's a phrase I often hear. Well, boy, that sounds a lot easier uh, to say it than to actually apply it. But I hope what I'm gonna share in just the next few minutes will give you some concrete, practical ideas of how you can apply it. Here's key number one. If we wanna overcome discouragement, If we want to stay encouraged, we need to choose to be word-minded. We need to choose to be word-minded. God's word expresses his thoughts. We know this if you've been in any of the sermons over the summer. Pastor Pete has talked about this numerous times, about God's word, and how if we want to know God, we need to know his word. His word reveals how he thinks and what he wants for and from each and every one of us. The only way we can align our thoughts to God is by meditating on Scripture, is by knowing Scripture. Joshua 1.8 says this, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful, and I would say that that includes an encouraged commit to memorizing god's word i often encourage people to get three by five cards and put key verses that speak to their heart depending on what circumstances they're facing and memorize them to commit them to heart in scripture it says i will hide god's word in my heart so that i may not sin against him some of the verses that i like that really encourage me for example proverbs 3 5 and 6 trust in the lord with all thine heart lean not unto our own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Or Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There are a number of verses. Psalms 56.3, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. We need to commit God's word to memory. You know, it says that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts in, uh, in Isaiah Let me share this with you. The other night, my wife and I were watching a documentary, and um, the scientist that was interviewed on this documentary wanted to give the viewer just a little inkling of what God's intelligence is like. And he said, in order for the universe to be created, and he believed it was created, it would require the intelligence that would be, of course, greater than man. But let me tell you how much greater he said, take man's intelligence and multiply it times a trillion. and Multiply that times a, trillion, times a 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 trillion. Trillion to the seventh power. And then we might have an idea of the kind of intelligence that the creator of the universe has. Isn't that mind-boggling? My goodness. You know, if somebody told me that God was a hundred times smarter than me, I would be amazed a trillion time, or trillion to the seventh power, that is truly amazing. That's the God, that's the God who says, "I can take away your discouragement, and I can give you encouragement." If we, if we can't trust a God with that kind of intellect, and I still think trillion to the seventh power is an underestimation of His intelligence, but I mean, we, we uh, something's wrong. Let me just put it that way. Key number two, if we want to stay encouraged in a discouraging world, choose to develop a thankful heart. Choose to develop a thankful heart. Research has demonstrated that our minds cannot hold on to two competing thoughts at the same time. In other words, if you are focused on being thankful, you cannot entertain discouraging thoughts. I often recommend that people create what I call a praise list. A praise list. That they sit down and they think of everything that God has done for them that they count their blessings every day so that every morning before you put your feet on the ground ideally and every night before you go to bed so your unconscious mind can focus on it review those blessings those things that God has given to you and has blessed you with again our minds cannot entertain two competing thoughts at the same time so we can choose to be thankful and allow our minds to meditate on those things. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in you in Christ Jesus, or for you in Christ Jesus. What does this help us with? Besides keeping at bay those discouraging negative thoughts? It will help you to focus on what you have, rather than what you think you lack. It will help you focus on what you have, what God has blessed you with, rather than what you think you lack. So develop a praise list. Be grateful. Demonstrate that gratitude on a daily basis. And just as a side note, men, the research shows it's more difficult for men to identify those things they're grateful for and express it. And I say that not to say, oh, poor us guys, but to challenge you. Men like challenges, right? So I especially challenge you men to identify those things that you're grateful for and to remember them first thing in the morning and review them just before you go to bed. Number three, the third key, if you want to overcome discouragement and maintain an attitude of encouragement, a spirit of encouragement, choose to guard your heart and mind. Choose to guard your heart and your mind. You guard your heart and mind when you first minimize the negative influences in your life. It's amazing how many things we invite into our life that creates a vulnerability or greater vulnerability to negativity and discouragement. If you choose to eat high-fat, high-calorie food, in time the byproduct will be weight gain, especially if you're not exercising during that diet. Likewise, if you choose to surround yourself with negative people, sinful behaviors, mindless and unedifying television programs, toxic work environments, and a flood of negative and discouraging news from various media outlets. The byproduct will likely be negativity, pessimism, and discouragement. A couple of years ago, I was watching way too much news. And I literally had to put myself on a news fast. I would come home and I'd watch two, three hours sometimes of news. And and it wasn't real encouraging. And I found myself thinking about it when I wasn't watching the news. And I found myself being discouraged about the things that I was watching. I had to put myself on a fast. And although I've gone back to watching more of the programming, I don't watch nearly as much as I used to. And it significantly helped me in my attitude. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because his trusts or he trusts in you. To be steadfast, excuse me, means that we will not waver or change and that we will hold firm in belief, determination, and adherence. As much as it depends on each of you, I think it's important to stay away from whatever is negative and discouraging. One person said at one time, we become the average of the five people we hang out most with or spend the most time with. What are the people like that you hang out with? Sometimes we can't choose it because we're related to them, right? Sometimes, sometimes we work with them and we can't necessarily change jobs. But it's critically important that every day you choose to determine what you're going to let in to your life. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. We want those things we allow into our lives to be led by the Spirit Number three, you guard your heart and mind. Or this is the second thing under guarding heart and mind. The second point is we need to align our thoughts with the truth. The truth about ourself, our circumstances, our past, and our future. Here are some of my favorite verses in scripture on this topic. Proverbs 23:7, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Romans 12:2: "Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to be mindful of what it is we're putting in our minds." Second Corinthians 10:5 says this: We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Do you know that consciously, subconsciously, and unconsciously, we're entertaining thoughts all day long. We have a billions, billions of neurons and cells in our brain that are functioning all the time, whether we're awake or we're asleep. And it's processing information. And the degree to which we focus on the truth about life is the degree to which we're likely to experience encouragement, happiness, joy, and peace. When we allow those negative, irrational, untrue beliefs about ourselves, about the world, about our future into our minds, that's when we begin to become even more vulnerable. So we need to take those thoughts captive and we need to test them. Is this true? Does it line up with God's word? Is it rational? Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then a verse many of us are familiar with, Philippians 4.8. Paul said, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When we think about ourselves, many times I work with people who think, you know, I'm a failure. I'm not capable. I'm not smart enough. I'm not likable enough. I'm flawed. Something is wrong with me. And oftentimes we think about these things to the point to where we discourage ourselves. And we need to be reminded of the truth. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are created in God's image. We are created to do good things. And we need to be able to hold on to those thoughts that discourage us and quite frankly, are just not based in the truth, and we need to be willing to refute and challenge them so that we can hold on to that identity God tells us in his word we have as his children, as his creation. Our circumstances, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of us have circumstances that are not favorable from the world's standards or anyone's standards our situation is not good. We may have lost a job recently, we may have marital problems, we may be having difficulty with our children, and it's very very challenging for us. We need to remember that we need to look beyond our circumstances. A moment ago I referenced that study on happiness and I said that researchers found that fifty percent of our happiness or capacity for happiness is related to our DNA, our biological set point. Well they also recognize that Our happiness is due to our circumstances to about the tune of 10%. 10%. When I tell people this, they they say, you mean 90%, right? 90%. Because what happens to me dictates what I think about it. No, it's 10%. What happens to you in life is more related to the meaning you attach to what happens to you than what happens to you specifically. We have that ability to attach meaning that lines up with God's word. That says, you know what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's true. I can overcome my my circumstances. Jesus says, I have overcome the world, whatever circumstances you have. Remember in Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul and Silas in prison. And they were arrested. They were beaten black and blue. They were thrown into a dungeon. And then around midnight, the Bible says, they were singing, Woe is me, nobody knows. The trouble I've seen. No, that's not how the passage goes at all, is it? They were singing praises to God despite their circumstances. And God delivered them. The earth shook. The cells opened. They didn't leave. That's another whole story. But, uh, but they were able to be encouraged in the midst of very, very negative and discouraging circumstances. Someone once said, terrible times are inevitable Misery is optional. Then our past. We've got to ask ourselves, what are we thinking about our past? Well, I'm a failure. I failed in the past. I've been married three times. Um, my kids don't talk to me anymore. Um, I, I just don't have a healthy past. I was abused when I was growing up. My father left us. My mother died when I was 10. Whatever your past may be, it doesn't have to depend or determine, rather, your future. We need to put that in proper context. We've got to be able to say that I can be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. We need to be able to say that our future can be bright. We can overcome these circumstances, and we can experience a positive future. And if we begin thinking about those positive future opportunities, envision the positive possibilities research shows that it increases the significance of those things happening dramatically significantly and so we need to ask ourselves about that with regard to our past the bible speaks to that in isaiah 43:18 and 19 it says forget the former things do not dwell on the past see i am doing a new thing now it springs up do you not perceive it i am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Jeremiah 29.11 refers to our future. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Key number four, we need to choose to attend to the needs of others. We need to choose to attend to the needs of others if we want to stay encouraged in a discouraging world. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its forms. Someone in your life today may need your love. Certainly they may need your prayers. They may need physical or material help. They may need encouragement. They may need your time. The list goes on of the needs that are represented, not only in this community called Holy Cross, but in Tucson community and in the world. If you want to overcome discouragement, take the focus off yourself. It begins with a choice. When we become other-focused, we are no longer thinking about how bad we have it. We are no longer thinking about the uncertainty. We're no longer thinking about those things that have created sadness sadness and fear, and worry, and anxiety within us. And so one of the most powerful ways in which we can stay encouraged in a discouraging world is to choose to attend to the needs of others. You know, it's been said, when you stretch yourself in an effort to meet the needs of others, something happens along the way in that your own needs get met. Isn't that powerful? And that's the way I believe God designed it to be. As we wrap up this morning, let me just, if I may, share a couple of concluding comments. I want to draw your attention back to what a verse we used in the beginning uh, in Joshua 1.9. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's a story uh, about a man... Who approached a little league baseball game one afternoon? He asked the boy in the dugout what the score of the game was. And the boy responded, 18 to nothing, and we're behind. Wow, said the spectator. I'll bet you're discouraged. He said, Why should I be discouraged? replied the little boy. We haven't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> When I think of this story, it reminds me of how we as Christians can remain hope-filled and encouraged in the face of our trials, our sorrows, our uncertainties, in the face of things that are going on in our world politically, uh, things that are happening uh, in terms of how Christians are being persecuted around the world. The list of things, if we chose to dwell on them, are very, very long. But you know what? We can say to ourselves, and it's recommended to say it to others too. Discouraged? Why should I be discouraged? If God is for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? To summarize, we can stay focused or we can stay encouraged, excuse me, in a discouraging world when we first choose to be word minded, remind ourselves of what God says his promises, what he commands us to do. Do not be discouraged. I have come to overcome the world. Second, choose to develop a thankful heart. Third, choose to guard your heart and mind by minimizing the negative influences in your life and by aligning your thoughts with the truth in Scripture. And then the fourth key is choose to attend to the needs of others, you know. I keep using the word choose, and the reason for that is because God gives us the ability to control certain things in our lives. We all know that there's not a whole lot we can control, right? It's frustrating at times, isn't it? But we can control where we put our focus. What are you going to think about? We can choose that. As I mentioned earlier, we can choose what we're going to, um, or how we're going to attach meaning to the things that go on in our life. Is it going to be negative, pessimistic, and critical? Or are we going to attach meaning that represents an attitude of positivity, of of, uh, faith, belief in God's word? It's your choice. And then we can choose, lastly, to take action, to do. Everything we talked about this morning is all about choice. God's given us those choices to make, and I want to encourage you to do that. Let me draw your attention back to a couple of questions that I asked at the beginning. And I asked you to answer the question in your mind, but this time... I want you to raise your hands. Do you believe that with God all things are possible? If you believe that, raise your hand this morning. Do you believe that God is sovereign, having supreme authority or power over everything? Raise your hand. If you do, keep this in mind. The true belief or the true evidence of belief is attitude and action. It has been said to know something and not do it is to not really know at all. If you really believe that God is in control of your life and that he, has, he is sovereign, I encourage you to commit to applying what we have talked about today. If you do, I'm confident that you will be able to stay encouraged in a discouraging world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the promises in your word. I thank you that we can stand on those promises and that, God, you are willing to fulfill them. I pray that for each one of us today, God, we will be able to choose in our hearts and minds those things that are good for us, those things that, uh, Lord, represent an attitude of gratefulness, those things that represent our ability to remind ourselves of the truth found in your word. I pray that we'll be able to commit those uh, Lord, promises and truths to memory so that we can call upon them when the enemy tries to lie and deceive us. Lord, I just uh, thank you for each person in this congregation this morning and pray a special blessing upon each one and their families. And we again thank you and praise you for your goodness, your love, and your power. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.